one of the greatest gifts we can do as women is to tell each other the truth and really to to look at you know giving birth as a major sporting injury if that's a metaphor that connects with you so what do we do for our, our top our top athletes say if they do have a little you know microscopic tear in their acl you know they have a surgical repair we're looking at a 12-month rehab plan for them and it's really structured and it's looking at the whole person and um, particularly now as sports medicine is evolving you know we look at their sleep we look at their relationships we look at what they're eating we look at how they're managing stress and it's really about taking again this is this is going to sound radical but taking a whole person view of this new mother and really asking her you know how can we help support you returning to a healthy lifestyle welcome to mom strength a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabhi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as The Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Mom Strength. I am Surabhi, and I'm so excited to bring back, or not bring back, bring in uh, Michelle Lyons, who is a an amazing, incredible woman. And she is, I'll, I'll do an official bio introduction of her, and then I'll, I'll welcome her on. So Michelle is, a passion, is passionate about women's health. She has over 27 years experience as a physiotherapist, and her toolbox includes qualifications in yoga, Pilates, mindfulness, health coaching, and nutrition. She lives in Ireland, but teaches nationally, internationally, and online about all aspects of women's health, especially hormonal and menopausal wellness and oncology rehab. Her, She has her own business, Celebrate New Leah Brady. I hope I pronounced that properly. Nice. I'm getting the thumbs up. And her mission is to empower the next generation of smart, strong women to advocate for themselves and their health. Hello, Michelle. I'm so excited to have you on here today. Oh, what, what a pleasure to be here. I feel like, you know, we've we've known each other kind of online across the across the oceans. So it's it's really lovely to connect with you here today. Thank you so much for having me. You're so you're so welcome, and I'm, I appreciate you spending your time with us today and spreading your wealth of uh, wisdom and your passion. So, can you tell me about you? How did you come into this sure. journey into women's health, and you know how did that passion come to be? Well, I think like a lot of women's health physios, um, it's oftentimes our own obstetric adventures or misadventures <laughs> that uh, lead us down this path. You know. When I started out my career in physio, um, as my daughter likes to remind me at the end of the last century, um, (laughs) because she's very tactful, um, I was really focused on developing a career in sports medicine. I was working with one of the country's top football teams. I was traveling with them. I was the head of their rehab squad. And that was my path, you know, ortho, sports, football. That was where I was going. And then I had my daughter. And I did not have a great, I really didn't have a great experience having her. 
Um, you know, it, it just did not go as I had thought it would. You know, I had lots of visions of how it would unfold and it didn't go that way. So, you know, I'm, I'm recovering from having had her and I really started thinking there has to be a better way to do this. There has to be a better way to help women prepare for and then recover from labor and delivery, childbirth, and then dealing with a baby um, while recovering from, again, to use kind of the analogy of sports injuries, to what would be a fairly major traumatic event, you know, if it was an ACL injury in a, in a footballer. We really expect women to bounce back so quickly. You know, they have maybe a fairly cursory six-week check after they have mm-hmm. their baby. <laughs> And then it's, you know, it's, and now, yep, sure, go back to boot camp, go back running, everything's fine. But really, you know, not just the pelvic floor, although that's, that's obviously my main area of interest, but really looking at the whole person, how that's altered by the hormonal changes of pregnancy, the physical load of pregnancy. And then depending on how labor and delivery go, you know, are you delivering the baby, you know, what's, what's, cutely termed a normal birth where you're having the baby coming out through your vagina mm-hmm. or you're having major abdominal surgery like a c-section and i often think just with very very minimal rehab and attention to detail afterwards and i re- my mission has really you know evolved from that to to really help women understand what's happening to their own bodies but also to, to learn how to advocate for themselves and to say you know no this is not normal this is not okay i i need help I need to know where to go to get that help because the beauty of it is the help is out there. And what we need to do is just bridge that disconnect between the moms who need us, the women who need us, because even if you've never had a baby, you know, as my scope kind of broadened a little bit, I started looking at what was happening uh, during the menstrual years, you know, in terms of reproductive health and period health. And of course, then all of that kind of culminates in menopause. And really what, what we experience at menopause is often a reflection of what's happened to us during our childbearing years, uh, whether or not we've had children, um, certainly from a hormonal perspective, you know, you you get a little monthly progress report each month um, when you are menstruating to tell you how you're doing in terms of balancing your hormones. And that's a really good kind of uh, foretelling of what menopause is often like, is often going to be like for us. So Interesting. What I really want to do is just to, you know, to help women get back into their bodies again and to understand the power of their bodies um, and and really to showcase them towards, you know, th- there is help when things do go wrong. If you do sustain injuries or problems, help is out there. And uh, yeah, you don't have to put up with it. I, I love that because I think that many of us women think of our periods as like, oh, got my period, you know? It's like this negative thing. Yeah. Um, puberty, you know, when a woman enters, when a girl enters puberty, it's it's kind of like, yay, congrats, but also like, oh, you're kind of stuck with this now. And I think that partially that comes from a cultural phenomenon uh, yeah. of, especially in Western society, it's kind of a negative thing to hide. So my background, I'm Indian. And I remember when I got my period, my parents were like celebrating it. I got a, I got a card and I was mortified because none of my friends in school had that same experience. And yeah. so I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm supposed to like not like this. And now here they are celebrating this event. And now as an adult with a good, with the daughter and a son, but I still think that that's incredible. I think it should be celebrated. Wow. Um, and can you share with me, you know, 
what you told me about your your company, you know, your business, Celebrate Muliebrity. What does that mean to you? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have this conversation on a fairly regular basis because <laughs> nobody's really heard of the word muliebrity before. Um, muliebrity is an old English word and it means basically the art and state of being a woman. And I think we need to celebrate that instead of, you know, cloaking it in shame or in, you know, dismissive tones, you know, oh, painful periods are normal, you know, um, oh, painful sex is normal. You know, we really just need to start teaching women how to re-embrace their power and to not accept, you know, problems, be it pain or leaking or prolapse. These things are, you know, they're common, but they're not normal, as we're fond yeah. of saying. Yeah. And there's almost always, you know, a, a strategy that we can use to really fairly quickly turn things around. But it's always easier to do it when you know how. So the first thing that we have to do is to bring women's health out of the shadows and really normalize uh, the conversation around women's health, at no matter what stage of life we're talking about. I love that. I, I just love that. And I, that's part of what I do on my page too is, you know, hey, you know what? Leaking is – I did a poll the other day. 70% of women have, have leaked at some point. And yeah. this is people who have had babies or not. And now I, I should have asked the next question, how many of you have stopped leaking and or have sought help? Because it's a relatively – I don't want to say quick fix, but it is a very simple, you know, yeah. approach to there. There are ways to manage it where which aren't like, oh, I just have to do Kegels for the rest of my life and yeah. now or get surgery, right? People assume the worst or the hardest yeah. experience, and sometimes it's simpler than that. Um, so it's 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 I love everything that you do, and I think it's fascinating. And I think it's so so important. Can you talk a little bit about what happens in that transition to postpartum? You've had the baby. You're yeah. obviously your your physical body's gone through this immense change, whether you've had a surgical or a vaginal birth with or without intervention, and now you're also exhausted and you're still yeah. caring for that baby while perhaps trying to breastfeed. And there's yeah. this huge it's it's a huge load on the mother. Can you talk about some of the hormonal sure. changes during that time? Well, if we think about, you know, the major hormones of pregnancy being estrogen and progesterone. And essentially, for most of our pregnancy, we are marinating in those hormones. You know, they are, we are just flooded with them. They're coursing through our veins. And then you have your baby and it's like they just fall off a cliff edge. It's like, boom, they're gone. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's, it's actually, it's a kind of a clever design by mother nature because, you know, she doesn't want us to start ovulating and get pregnant again too soon. Uh, while well, we have a newborn to care for, you know, so it's it, there's a certain logic there. However, that's all well and good if we are, you know, embraced by the wider community, you know, having that village of support, um, you know, to help us with not only taking care of ourselves and our baby, but also, you know, maybe we have other children, maybe we have other responsibilities, a household, a career. Most of us, you know, with, you know, with increasing mobility over the years, most of us maybe don't have that whole village of support anymore. So you have somebody who's been, who's really going through major drug withdrawal, if you like, you know, because estrogen particularly has about 400 different functions in the female body. And one day full, full of it, and the next day it's all gone. Um, so what can happen is, you know, we've, we've probably all heard about, you know, the baby blues, 
mm-hmm. and you know kind of that just that crash of mood and most women will have some mood alteration the first few days what we have to be look out for is you know more severe postpartum depression so signs of that happening but we're also you know we're losing our progesterone as well because if we're not ovulating we're not producing progesterone and progesterone is our calming hormone it it helps us sleep it helps us deal with anxiety um now estrogen and progesterone have dropped and we have this helpless tiny creature who needs to be fed every hour and a half uh, throughout the 24-hour cycle. If it's your first child, the stress of not knowing what to do with that when they just won't stop crying. Uh, maybe if you're, you know, if you're trying to breastfeed as well, um, that's going to keep the hormones low, but it's another layer of stress for the body. It's another layer of stress for the pelvic floor too, because estrogen is really important when it comes to good tissue healing. So particularly over the first six to 12 weeks, let's say, as things are, are starting, hopefully to become a little bit more reestablished. And maybe, you know, mum wants to return to sexual activity. Um, but because she's got really, really low estrogen, um, she's not going to have any lubrication. She's probably not going to have much for libido to start with either, because again, he's going to say, you know, yeah. both. I feel like both. Are, it's like a double whammy, and it's for sure. For it's sure. one of those things that's another, just another layer yeah. of stress for many people because it's, it's kind of like, oh, my body's not working. You know, yes. it's like I, I'm used what's to wrong? working this way, and now what's wrong with me? Yeah. And I feel like this important, this education you're providing is so important because it's you're giving the reasons why. So it's not, it's not you. It's literally the, the changes that your body has been through. Absolutely. It is literally, you know, how you've been designed evolutionarily speaking. So, you know, that adds to your stress hormone production, which is going to, you know, so you've got cortisol, you've got adrenaline. So that's really going to impede your ability to sleep, to repair. Um, it's also going to start affecting your digestive system as well because you're just, you're revving your stress engine all the time and you feel like you're being pulled in so many different directions. And, you know, then we've got the added pressure of, you know, bouncing back after baby, you know, before the pandemic hit, I was teaching a lot internationally. So, you know, I spend a lot of time in, in airport newsstands and you see all these magazines, you know, how I got my body back after baby. It's like, well, mm-hmm. yes, A, you have staff and B, you know, Possibly, you know, one of your staff members is skilled in either Photoshop or liposuction, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, it's just, it bonkers. And it's another layer of stress on women. Like, yeah. you know, we, we, we've spent the best part of a year creating a new human being, um, really having every cell of our body affected by that, because it's not just our abdominals and our pelvic floor that are affected by pregnancy, every cell in your body is affected by those pregnancy hormones. And then really to start rebuilding that again. So now what can happen for many women, particularly women who are trying to get back into sport is they're not eating enough because Mm. they're trying to get, you know, again, that mythical body back after baby. So it's almost like they're on this path towards, um, you know, this relative energy deficiency that we see in female athletes where you're literally not taking enough calories. Um, You're just, you're grazing, you're grabbing things on the go because you're so busy looking after everybody else and you're not sleeping. You know, it just, it creates this perfect storm of 
physical and psychological stress and unhappiness. And it's really just about helping women say, whoa, hang on. I just made a human being. I had a little bit of help initially at the start, but essentially, you know, we've done all the work here. Mostly we did the work, yeah. Let's, let's face it, we, we pretty much did all the work. And we brought them into the world, you know, because remember, it's moms who deliver babies. Doctors don't deliver babies. They're there to maybe assist. Oh my gosh, thank moms. you for saying that. I hate yeah. that term is like, who delivered your baby? I'm like, uh, I did. Yeah, me right here. That would be me. Yeah, they, <laughs> I, I don't, yeah. Why, why do we need to know who delivered it? It's the mother. I know, I love that. Exactly. So I think one of the the greatest, you know, I I love the quote from Michelle Obama. Um, One of the greatest gifts we can do as women is to tell each other the truth. And really to to look at, you know, giving birth as a major sporting injury, if that's a metaphor that connects with you. So what do we do for our, our top our top athletes say if they do have a little, you know, microscopic tear in their ACL, you know, they have a surgical repair. We're looking at a 12 month rehab plan for them. And it's really structured and it's looking at the whole person. And particularly now as sports medicine is evolving, you know, we look at their sleep, we look at their relationships, we look at what they're eating. We look at how they're managing stress. And it's really about taking Again, this is, this is going to sound radical, but taking a whole person view of this new mother and really asking her, you know, how can we help support you returning to a healthy lifestyle? You know, let's let's brainstorm strategies to make sure that the freezer is full of foods that are good for you, because particularly if you're breastfeeding, the baby is depending on you to eat well. So it's not selfish. You know, self-care is not selfish at all, but particularly not in in the postnatal period. We really need to encourage moms to prioritize their sleep, their 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 food intake, really good, high quality food intake. And if they can, and this this sounds really radical as well, but even just taking mini breathing breaks, like to sit down, one minute of belly breathing, you know, that's been shown to help just reconnect that gut brain axis and really start to get our body coming home to itself again and allowing that process of rebuilding and repairing so that everybody's happy. Because, you know, if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. I I love that. You know, the breathing, I tell my, my new moms, every time you feed your baby, whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, that's, you're sitting yes. anyway. That's yes. an easy time to remember. I'm like, do five to 10 slow you know, diaphragmatic breaths because moms need to do that. You and I know that, but they don't understand the importance of it sometimes. But we know that breathing is so crucial for connecting to the core of pelvic floor, winding down that stress response. Uh, And I love that you, you talked about that. Now you mentioned another thing that I thought was really interesting is, you know, I loved how you describe it as a big drug, drug withdrawal, because that just something clicks, right? You're like, wow, that's powerful. And also, Another powerful image is seeing that, you know, basketball star getting an ACL, you know, surgery, and then every everyone on the team is supporting them. Yes. And in the same way, we need our team. So we need our, if we have partners, parents, we need our team to bring us food to do all the other stuff so we can yeah. focus on caring for baby and healing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something about sleep. So sleep is a hard because we know that babies wake through the night. How... What are some strategies on this to help moms who maybe don't have full control over like their sleep? 
um, to maximize healing. Yeah, it's what we know is that, you know, the key period for restorative sleep is that time period between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. So that's going to be where we're really focusing our attention. And if we can start to, you know, manipulate schedules a little bit to make sure that everybody is kind of, you know, in their bed, if you've got other young kids as well as the baby, you know, that we can Mm -hmm. really start to have everybody tucked up and ready to go by, say, 9.30 at the latest. And so we're really tapping into that that most important window for, for tissue repair. But I would say as well, like, do not be shy about taking a nap in the afternoon. If you have that luxury, if you have that capability, please grab it. Even a 25-minute nap can really help reset. If you find yourself having difficulty getting to sleep by that 10 o'clock window, There's a couple of things that we can do to help really get our circadian rhythms working for us. So that's our 24 hour body clock, if you like. Getting outside in the mornings and letting a little bit of sunlight hit your eyes. You know, don't stare at the sun. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But just putting that out there. Um, But just getting outside for a walk, even for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, Sunlight exposure in the morning. If you have the luxury of doing it in nature, even better. That really seems to be a powerful tool. Um, when you get into bed at night, and this this was something that I uh, that I struggled with quite a bit, um, thinking about all the things that didn't get done that day, mm-hmm. or all the things that had to get done the following day. So what I do now is I have a notebook beside my bed and just do a massive brain dump. But write it down. Don't put it into your phone or your device because we want to try and stay away. And again, this is something I'm really, really bad at. So I'm going to put my hand up here and be honest about it. Trying to stay off your device for at least an hour before you want to go to sleep. Also really, really important as well, because the the blue light that comes out, even with the blocking, you know, filters that we can get now, you're still getting some of it coming through. So really trying to stay off your device, write down your lists, Uh, So you have a plan and that really kind of gives your brain permission to say, okay, she's given it some attention. I don't need to sit here spinning my wheels about it anymore. And then the other thing is your brain loves ritual. It loves habit. It loves to predict what it thinks you're going to do next. So a really good way to train your brain for sleep is to try, if at all possible, to go to bed and get up at the same time every day, even weekends, even vacations, but to have a little ritual as you're getting into bed at night, it could be journaling. It could be reading a book again, an actual paper book rather than a a Kindle or an iPad. Um, It could be doing some slow, deep breathing. It could be doing some gentle yoga stretches. It could be getting a drop or two of lavender oil and just rubbing it between your hands and taking, you know, three or four deep breaths because smells are powerfully associated with um with memories in our brain so what can happen is your brain smells the lavender thinks oh she must be getting ready to go to sleep i'm going to start powering down now and it's to find something that really works with you wherever you are in your life's journey right now there's a couple of different suggestions there that we've thrown out but to pick something that your brain starts associating with sleep so it starts getting into that powering down mode Um, You know, maybe restricting your fluids for for at least two hours before you go to bed as well. So you're not having to get up to go to the loo during the night. 
If you are getting up to feed the baby during the night, don't go to the toilet just in case. You might have to. This is a habit that a lot of my clients have. Is oh, I'm up anyways because then you start training your yeah. You start weakening that response, and that what what you just said before that too is. So depending on the life stage that you're at, like I am super, I stay up till 2 a.m. because that's my quiet time and I'm a night owl. And what you just said is like, what? 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. is the key window of tissue repair. So like this is notes to all of me and my night owl friends is like really going to bed earlier because, and that's what I've started to actually do is, you know, now that my kids are in daycare, I have more time to work during the day. So I'm like, you know what? I need to go to bed because I'm tired. And yes. staying up later, I'm not going to be productive anyway. No. And I know my kids sleep well in the first part of the night. It's the second part where he's up nursing where I don't have control. So if I'm not sleeping till later, now I've lost my entire sleep windows of, you know, consistent exactly. sleep. I love that point. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Absolutely. And the other point is the sleep rituals. So as a new mom, I remember with my daughter, she was a horrendous sleeper and it was a huge source of stress for me back then. Yeah. And we were all about the rituals for her. Like, okay, we do this and then we do this. And then she, we got her on a good schedule, but we don't think to do that for ourselves, right? Right. Is exactly. we need the same, you know, strategies to wind yeah. down. For some people, I know they have like that um, insomnia too. Like they have trouble quieting yeah. their brain. They have trouble sleeping even though they're tired. Mm-hmm. So this might be really, really helpful for those people is to develop that ritualistic kind of even if it's five, 10 minutes so that you know, their brain it's starts just, associated with sleep. Yeah, the power of habit is really, really strong for, for our brains and for our bowels. They are both like strong creatures of habit. They love routine. They do not like change. So if, you know, if you think about trying to get a, a, a baby or a small child to sleep, you know, we might read them a story. We might, you know, have a bath. Some we might songs, tuck them yeah. in. Exactly. And, you know, just make sure they're warm and they're safe. And, you know, but th- we do the same thing every night. And sometimes that's what our brains need as well, particularly when we're a bit frazzled. You know, we're under mm. a lot of pressure. It's just, it's a really just, it's a gentle way to start taking care of yourself. And, you know, just lead yourself by the hand gently back towards better self-care. And is that one of the reasons, the like lack of sleep, that so many women struggle with hormonal, yeah. um, you know, issues postpartum, right? It's it's definitely a factor because if you're not sleeping, I mean, you know, think about what you feel like when you don't sleep well. You just feel crummy. Mm-hmm. And the temptation is then to, you know, you, you need the coffee to get going in the morning. Maybe you need the sugary snacks to kind of keep the energy up and keep chasing around. And then, you know, for for many mums, you know, they get to nighttime and maybe they need the glass of wine or the gin and tonic to wind down again. Mm. And so that's really their stress hormones are running the show. And if all your energy is being diverted into stress hormone production, it really does force the reproductive hormones, particularly progesterone, which is your major sleep and anti-anxiety hormone. It pushes it out of the limelight and you're really slowing down production. So instead of, you know, just kind of chemically revving the engines all the time, maybe just taking a step back. But the other thing, the other important things to remember about sleep is, you know, we know that just a couple of nights of disrupted sleep can increase pain by about 25%. Mm. Just general musculoskeletal pain increases by about 25% 
if you're not sleeping well, and if you are trying to lose weight, we also know that our, our two main hormones that control hunger and that feeling of fullness, leptin and ghrelin, they're also thrown off by disrupted sleep. And cortisol, our, our main stress hormone, if we're depending on these stress hormones, to kind of, we've got to do, we've got to do, we've got to do it. Push, push, push. Coffee, sugar, I'll, you know, really trying mm-hmm. to, to give it what it wants. Cortisol drives cravings for food that's high in sugar and fat. So it makes you want more and cortisol drives belly fat Mm. because the the fat cells that we have around our abdomen have about four times the cortisol receptors, you know, of anywhere else in our body. So if you are interesting, yeah, if you're revving your stress engine, you are going to you're going to get some belly fat. And for many women, for many postnatal women, you know, they're trying to deal with the tummy afterwards as well it can really be an area that for for many women it it is quite distressing you know we we hear a lot of talk about the tummy gap about diastasis Mm -hmm. but if you are sleeping and if you're not sleeping but you are stressing you're laying down belly fat there and Mm -hmm. that's really going to to make it very very difficult for you to to achieve your goals as well as being kind of toxic you know for for your general information state yeah I was going to say, yeah, it's not good for us, period. And then also for people who are um, healing from diastasis or healing in general. And I have a few clients who are doing all the exercises, but they're stressing so much about everything else. And that's an important point, how that may become a barrier in itself, even if your gap isn't that bad. You might still have a belly fat that you think is a diastasis, but it's actually just, you know, extra fat. Um, but even if even yeah. if it, even if you do have a diastasis, you know it's you know are we asking women? You know, there's a, there's a lot of talk in our world about diastasis rehab. Are we asking about sleep when we're when we're programming for diastasis rehab? Because it's going to be super super difficult to resolve that tummy gap if you're not sleeping well. Such an important point. And mm. in, in my intake forms now. I ask about, you know, hours of sleep, um, your cycle, all of this stuff, because honestly, this is the stuff that I find makes a bigger impact than the, the exact exercise that they're doing and food, you know, bowel habits, all of the like lifestyle variables that make us a whole human being that affect, as you said, pain. What did, like, I love that stat about, you know, even a couple nights of disrupted sleep can increase pain by 25%. And so for people who are constantly dealing with pain, thinking it's a me problem, like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got a bad back. I've got yeah. a bad this. Maybe I'm it's, broken. yeah, maybe you're not broken. Maybe it's yeah. that your body is requiring more of something else. And sleep is, I think, a huge, huge, sure. huge thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about nutrition and food and how that plays a role in both postpartum and, you know, even heading into that perimenopausal state, because yeah. so many moms now are having babies later in life where they, sure. there might be that overlap between postpartum and the, the beginning or, you know, yeah. the ongoing nature of perimenopause. Well, definitely. I mean, I think if you're having a baby in your mid to late thirties, you're, you're going to be both, you know, you're going to be postnatal and perimenopausal because the average age worldwide for menopause is 51. And perimenopause is really that kind of, you know, 10 to 15 years leading up to that last period. 
So we're really talking about mid to late 30s onwards um, Mm -hmm. to to start considering that. Um, If we're looking to really establish healthy hormones, um, one of the first places we have to look is, is what we're eating, how we're eating and when we're eating and also how we feel about what we're eating as well. Um, most of our sex hormones, you know, again, our friends, estrogen and progesterone, um, they're, they're made from cholesterol. So cholesterol has this really bad reputation as we don't want cholesterol, but it's actually the building block for our sex hormones. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're taking in enough healthy fats because that's what's going to give us those building blocks. So we're talking about things like extra virgin olive oil, nuts, seeds. If you eat fish, you know, making sure you're getting a couple of portions of oily fish. And what's lovely about those sources of healthy fats is they're also good sources of omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. So what I love about using food as medicine is that it's often a multi-purpose tool. It will do one thing, absolutely, but it'll do it'll usually do a couple of other good things as well. Um, so if we take the nuts and seeds um, just even a step further, you're getting your healthy fats, you're getting your omega threes, but you're also getting you're getting a little bit of protein with them. You're getting some fiber. And that's the other aspect of good hormonal health. It's about what you're eating and, of course, how you're absorbing those nutrients. But it's also about having happy, healthy bowel movements because that's actually really how we do balance our hormones. Um, Our liver and our our digestive system really have this elegantly designed system to get rid of any excess hormones that we might have as well, because that's often where we see a lot of the the symptoms of perimenopause, you know, the hot flushes, the night sweats, the mood swings. Often they're coming from an imbalance between the estrogen and progesterone as we get a little bit older. So it is, it's, it's always about sleep and it's always about stress management because if we're stressing, we're diverting the building blocks of our estrogen and progesterone into cortisol, cortisol. production. Wow. Yeah. So it, it really is, you know, the, the whole circle of life here, it's eating well. It's, it, it also seems to be quite related to maybe eating in a, a time restricted window as well that we're giving our body a chance to recover overnight, that we're not just grazing, you know, from six in the morning until 12 at night. We're really giving our body a chance to process what we're eating. um, And we're getting rid of what no longer serves us, you know, physically and um, metaphorically. (laughs) Yeah, Um, physically. I love that. You know, I feel like entering motherhood really challenged me to set boundaries to, you know, like who I have in my environment for both physical recovery and mental, because I think a a bigger barrier for many people is the mental load and the mental stress. And we know that the mental stress can now affect physical healing uh, and your hormone production because of of cortisol. And something as simple as, you know, intaking more nuts and seeds, more healthy fats can help those building blocks. And then how do we keep our digestive system going? sleep is one big thing. So it's, it's, it all ties in, right? Because if you're not sleeping well, I know for me, myself, if I haven't yeah. slept well, there's no morning poop. You know, it's well, just not happening. There's no morning poop, but also, you know, you're, you're kind of dragging a little bit energy wise. So what do you reach for? Are you going to reach for the broccoli or are you going to reach for the donut? You know, um, it's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward choice for most of us when we're sleep deprived and stressed, but everything still has to happen. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to make sure that we're having a primarily 
plant-based. That's really where all the evidence is pointing us these days. Primarily plant-based, healthy, whole food, kind of a Mediterranean-style diet. But we have to be able to take, you know, again, as much as our current life circumstances allow, um, look at, it's not just about what the Mediterranean lifestyle diet is talking about in terms of food, because yes, we've all the different plants and we've the olive oil, um, but it's also about community. You know, one of the key aspects of a Mediterranean lifestyle is coming together to eat, sitting down to eat um, with maybe other people rather than just scrolling through your phone or sitting in your car eating, you know, a sad sandwich by itself um, or eating in front of the television, watching the news. You know, like the news is never good. You know, it's just going to increase your cortisol. Really? So you're not digesting your food. So you're probably not going to sleep well after you do all that anyway. Mm. So, yes, we want plenty of water. We want to make sure that mums aren't afraid to drink water because they're afraid they're going to leak. So sometimes mums can restrict, uh, and indeed at perimenopause as well, we start restricting our fluids a little bit, but of course that just makes the problem worse and it makes us constipated. So you can see how there's just, there's all these overlapping circles and it's about maybe just picking one thing first and really just saying, okay, I am going to try and eat, you know, at least one plant a day. And, you know, I love, um, there's, there's a, a writer called James Clear and he has a book called Atomic yes, Habits. I love his, yeah. <gasps> oh, obsessed. So good. So, really, because he talks about how sometimes we come up with these super lofty goals and they're big and they're huge and they're exciting. And we're setting ourselves up for failure because we just set ourselves these unattainable mountaintops. And one of the quotes from James Clear that I always find myself coming back to is, we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. So I what love can that. we, isn't it great? Love that. We can set ourselves up for success by making sure we have frozen veggies in the freezer, just as nutritious as, as you know, fresh ones. We can set ourselves up for success maybe, but when we do have time to do a little bit of batch cooking, you know, so that we have healthy options on hand, we can set ourselves up for success by minimizing the availability of sugary, highly processed foods in our houses and really just providing ourselves with better choices. So that takes a system to organize and just to, to bring that awareness to. And, and a, it, it is a commitment and it is work to take care of work. yourself. Yeah, it is work. But you are worth it. it. You are worth it. And it's it's like our kids. It's not like it's easy to cook for them and just plan their meals. It's not – none of it's like easy, but we are so good at building their routines. Yes. Right? Like my kids wake up at the same time. They go to bed at the same time. They eat it. Like we're so good at that. Yes. We need to also like reparent ourselves so that yes. we are also doing that for ourselves. You need and to the systems, the it's so true because I, I've started getting frozen kale and I saute that with garlic with a bit Yum. of olive oil for my breakfast because I need to start the day with some kind of plant. If I don't, I find the rest of the day my body's craving those carbs, carbs, carbs. And there's – which is fine, but I also need proteins and veggies and fruit and fats and all of the other stuff. Can you talk about protein? You know, I find that a lot of women are getting like 20, 30 grams of protein a day. Like it's just not sufficient for muscle recovery, muscle repair. Um, does that affect hormones at all? Um, 
it can, you know, it really can, because if we're not giving our body the building blocks of good health, if we're not taking in uh, good sources of protein, definitely healthy fats. And I really want to include carbohydrates in this conversation as well, because carbs are not the enemy here. Um, you know, we need carbohydrates for energy. Um, and it's making good carb choices is really what we want to do. Proteins are great because they're going to keep you fuller for longer. And particularly if you can mix a protein with a healthy fat, mm -hmm. it's going to give you, first of all, it's going to give you good, you know, it's going to improve the taste because, you know, fats generally have a good mouth feel for us. Um, but it's also going to decrease your cravings for the simple carbs, for the sugary foods. So it's to think about how can we add in some healthy protein choices into the mix. So for example, like your example with the kale and the garlic, you know, what about a couple of eggs with that as well? Mm -hmm. And yeah. boom, you that's know, my usual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ideal. Um, if you if you're not uh if you don't eat um meat or or animal products, you know, a scrambled tofu. Tofu is a great source of protein as well. Tofu is a tricky beast um, because it can really quickly turn into a flavorless blob. Um, so there's a skill to dealing with tofu that I've had to learn over the years, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm at peace with it now. Um, but it's about understanding that most vegetables do have protein in them as well. But beans are our friends too. Beans and pulses are superb sources of protein and fiber. I like my food to multitask. And so the thing with meat as a protein source is it is, it is, it's obviously, it's almost entirely protein and fat, but there's no fiber in meat. And I'm a big fan of fiber. Uh, for That's what I tell health. my clients too. Cause I'm, I'm, yeah. I've been a vegetarian all my life, so I'm biased, yeah. Yeah, but I'm like, Hey, you've got legumes. It, oh. It's going to kill multiple, you know, birds with one stone versus yeah. meat. You, you still need that something for fiber. You have to make a salad or something else with it. Well, meat can be quite inflammatory as well. Like heme iron is inflammatory. You know, we know that there, it's really, it's not controversial to say that red meat or processed meat is strongly linked to both cardiovascular disease and colorectal cancer. Not controversial. But, you know, some people enjoy it. That's fine. You know, I, I really try to meet people where they are and say, okay, well, let's make some really good choices around that. But let's maybe look at meat as a condiment rather than the main event on your plate. You know, the research tells us that we should be eating about 30 different plants a week, which for some people can sound like, whoa, mm -hmm. never going to happen. I couldn't even name 30 plants. <laughs> so, you know. I was just thinking it, that myself. I was like, 30 different plants. Yeah. Wow. But it's about variety, not quantity. Right. So it could be something like, you know, teaching somebody how to make or indeed how to buy hummus. Okay. Hummus is brilliant because the chickpeas are going to give you the protein. The tahini is going to give you the healthy fats and a little bit more protein. But sesame seeds have, you know, which is what tahini is made from, has about 300 times the, the amount of calcium that milk does. Calcium, yes. So you're getting, you're getting the bone building. You're getting that, you know, that essential nutrient for your nerves to fire. Um, and you're thinking about, okay, so what could we do then? You know, could we, could we have some, some lightly steamed veggies along with that and dip it into the hummus? So now we're getting our fiber, we're getting, uh, protein, we're getting some protein from the veggies as well, but we're getting those really medicinally beneficial phytochemicals in the multicolored plants. It could be broccoli spears, it could be collie, it could be carrot sticks. 
And so it's just about thinking outside the box, but just by having hummus and a couple of different veggies for dipping, we have chickpeas, we have olive oil, we have garlic, we have lemon juice, we've got our broccoli or our cauliflower or our carrots. Like we've hit about eight different plants there in one snack. Yeah. So when you think about it less as like, okay, I need a salad with 30 things. It's Mm. like you you can have whole foods that are delicious. And, and, you know, we're in in the fall now, you know, in the Mm -hmm. Northern Hemisphere. So we've got soup season and stews and and curries. So it's so easy to just toss a bunch of veggies and legumes in and, you know, that's a meal. The thing is as well with soups and even with pasta sauces, They are great vehicles for smuggling vegetables into children because the stick blender becomes your friend when you have fussy children. Um, You can, you know, you can make a nice tomato sauce for your pasta and you can sneak in some carrots and some uh, zucchini and some onions and you just cook it all till it gets nice and soft and whiz it up and all they see is red. You know, it's actually brilliant. I never thought to blend it up like that. Sneakiness is essential for vegetable smuggling. <laughs> for for I would say I, you know I can what? say this because I'm on my own here but sometimes for both husbands and for babies. <laughs> and I think that we need to essentially do what we need to do. I like the word systems. Like what mm. systems do we need in place yeah. so that we are able to go to bed earlier so that we are getting those veggies because you're so right if if what you have stocked is chips and cookies. Yeah. That's an easy when you're stressed and you're dealing with a crying baby. What are you going to grab more of? I found I was a lot better with my first. At I used to bake a lot of like um, muffins and things with like nut flowers and seeds and all of that. So my freezer was stocked. With baby two, like none of that has happened. None of the pre- preparation has been happening. Yeah. But I'm relying more heavily on my mom. My mom for I'm fortunate because. My parents live close by, so nice. my mom cooks for us all, all the time, and my husband cooks, and so. I feel like you need that village. And if you don't have that village, what can you do on your own to make yeah. your your life a little bit easier? And convenience is okay. Frozen foods, canned, yes. like all of that is better than not eating at all. We were I was talking to my dentist, I think, and she was looking at my teeth and we were talking about food and she's like, most moms just don't eat all day. They yeah. have maybe a smoothie. And then they're just like eating a bunch in the evening and a lot yeah. of sugary stuff. And so Sometimes when we think of like not getting enough calories, moms are like, no, no, you know, I I think I eat a lot, but I'm like, are you spreading it out throughout the day or are you just eating everything at dinner? Or just, you know, eating like eating what's left over on your child's plate, you know, as you're clearing the dishes. It's, it's, you know, we've all been there, but you know, as you said, it, I think the thing with systems is it's about, it is about the planning and it's about being able to say, is it a priority for you? And then planning. And then, you know, again, if you have the privilege and the luxury of being able to do something like an online grocery shop. Mm. So all the components are there for you. It's just you're removing all those barriers to achieving your goals by setting yourself up with it with a successful system. Love that. And can you talk a little bit more about how this all postpartum, we, we talked about how it ties into perimenopause. What are some of the things that are normal during perimenopause? And what are some of the things that are like flags that women might say, hmm, maybe I should look into this or seek help? If you are suffering, if your life really feels crummy, that's a red flag. You know, get, you know, go talk to your medical provider. That for me is the ultimate red flag because 
Nobody needs to feel awful in this day and age. What we know happens at perimenopause is that your brain is desperately trying to keep your ovaries in production because, mm. you know, our ovaries are, are really these powerhouses, you know, of production for both estrogen and progesterone. And estrogen is so protective for so many different functions in our body. It protects our bones, our brains, our hearts, our libido, our imagination, our resilience, our muscles, our tendons, so many different things. Wow. And so when we're in perimenopause, um, ovarian production slows down. And I'm going to just tell you, another of my bugbears is, you know, sometimes you'll see in some of the medical journals, uh, menopause referred to as ovarian failure. And it's like, um, okay, so are we going to talk about erectile dysfunction as penile failure then? Because that only seems fair. But anyway, I digress. Um, the language is important, though. It's because huge. It it's makes huge. us feel like, you know, yeah. failures if we're, exactly. you know, oh, our ovarian. Yeah, that's yeah. terrible language. So what happens is our brain starts to produce more and more hormones to try and stimulate the ovaries to just, oh, we'll just do one more month. Come on, just one more, just one more. Mm. and sometimes your ovary says okay fine we'll ovulate this month and sometimes it says no sorry not doing it so with perimenopause it really can be a little bit of a roller coaster in terms of what's happening hormonally because because of these hormones that your brain is producing to try and keep your ovaries going you may actually have lots and lots of estrogen but if your ovary isn't ovulating and releasing that egg you're not going to have any progesterone. So many of the things that we see happening at perimenopause, whether it's hot flashes or night sweats or insomnia or mood swings, are actually due to a relative excess of estrogen compared to how much progesterone that we have. So for some women at perimenopause, maybe going on some, some body identical you know, progesterone supplementation can be super helpful. But you can't medicate away a bad lifestyle either. Mm. You can't just keep burning the candle at both ends, you know, and think just going on hormone therapy is going to solve everything for you because it's not. You know, if any of us look at a photo of ourselves when we were, you know, 17 or 18, and now we look at ourselves now, you know, we have aged, we have gotten older. And the things that we could get away with in our late teens and early 20s, you know, staying up all night and still going into work or college the next day and being able to manage ourselves like that. We just can't do that as well as we get into our, our 30s, 40s and 50s. And we shouldn't have to. So what we want to do is really look at controlling our controllables. Are we eating well? Are we managing our stress well? Are we sleeping well? Are we moving our bodies regularly in a way that nurtures us? Um, are we, are we tracking for, you know, any patterns that are emerging? You know, if we are still menstruating, um, even as it becomes more irregular as we go into perimenopause, because some months we will, and some months we won't, how are we feeling up until we start bleeding? How do we feel around the middle of the cycle? You know, all of these things, knowledge is power and really just having women coming home to themselves and tracking all of these things instead of just being completely dissociated from their bodies is really important. But we've come a long way in terms of hormone therapy at menopause, because for a long time it was demonized. We were told it would give us breast cancer. 
We were mm-hmm. told it would give us, you know, a stroke or, you know, all sorts of, of horror stories. And a lot of that was based on faulty data and older medications. So what we're seeing now is a move away from some of the older meds, you know, the original hormone therapy meds, uh, like Premarin, for example, are made from pregnant mare's urine. So that's where the name Premarin comes from, Mm. pregnant mare's urine. And so that's great as hormone therapy if you're a horse, not so much possibly if you're a human. Um, And what we're seeing now is the newer generations of, of hormone therapy are actually much more identical to human hormones. But again, it's also not one size fits all. Um, it's like if you were to go into Walmart and get some um, some trousers with elasticated waists, they're going to fit everybody, but they're really not going to look good on anybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to if you go to Giorgio Armani and you get a beautifully pair of you know bespoke trousers that are tailored exactly for you, that's going to look and feel so much better for you. Mm-hmm. So what we see now with hormone therapy is yes, we can tailor hormones uh, to really support a healthy lifestyle, but it's not either or; it's yes and. Mm. We've got we still have to do the work in terms of looking after ourselves, particularly as we you know we we start to see an overlap between what's happening menopausally and the effects of aging because the two don't happen in isolation. So we have to be really careful as well about blaming the menopause for everything. Um, I think that's where a lot of people yeah. are like, I think in some ways it's, we see this postpartum too, is like, you'll go to see a doctor and you're like, I'm exhausted. And then they're like, yeah, but you're postpartum. You you have a young child, obviously. Yeah. And then it's like perimenopause. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of symptoms are kind of sloughed off as normal. Yes. And how do like, what are some, do you, are there medical or blood tests to identify imbalances? Like, what are ways yeah. that people can say, you know what, I want this done so I know what what I need? Well, the thing is, after the age of 45, menopause should be treated symptomatically. Menopause should be assumed. Because uh-huh. when you're in perimenopause, and again, some months you're ovulating, some months you're not, your blood tests are actually super unreliable. Um, But if you are over the age of 45, the current best practice guidelines state that if you're over the age of 45 and you're having these symptoms, assume menopause and hormone therapy, not antidepressants, not anti-anxiety medication, not go home and have a glass of wine. But let's try hormone therapy and see how you feel. And for many women within days, they start feeling like themselves again. So do not feel you know, that you have to suffer. And if you are not being listened to by your medical practitioner, it may be time to remember that your medical practitioner is supposed to be working for you. And, you know, it's supposed to be a partnership agreement. And you may, you may want to find someone who's maybe a little bit more skillful in menopausal care. You know, it might be going to talk to your gynecologist. It may be just, you know, shopping around a little bit because, um, things have moved on a lot over the past five years in terms of menopausal health care. I, I really do want to emphasize as well, though, it has to be lifestyle first mm-hmm. and then plus or minus hormone therapy. You know, yeah. really, really important that we do look at all those different things first. 
uh, and control those controllables because you can't just keep on doing what you've been doing and just think that taking hormone therapy is going to be enough because it's not. I think that's key. Like we we run ourselves into the ground and then we're looking for kind of band-aid solutions, right? And it's yeah. not – and I, I always wonder like why are women designed like this? Like why would this – why would we struggle so much in perimenopause? Why would we struggle so much? And I think a lot of it has to do with our lifestyles. I don't yeah. think women are designed poorly. I think it's just these lifestyles that we're brought ourselves into. We're trying to full-time parent, full-time work, you know, be a – boss, you know, all of this other stuff. And it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of work. And it leads to inadequate sleep, inadequate nutrition, even things like, you know, we know with pelvic floor, like people don't pee all day because they're busy in meetings. It's like our bowel and bladder health is affected because we're just ignoring our our body's needs. But if we, Mr. Robbie, if we even just dial that back a little bit and look at why we do that, because we're working off a a system that's been designed for a male physiology. You know, as women, we have a a 28 to 30 day cycle. You know, men have a a 24 hour cycle. So for them, cortisol and testosterone peak in the morning and taper off as the day goes on. So your typical, you know, eight to five workday is ideally suited for a male hormonal cycle. But also, when we look at the evolution of of the modern working day and week, it was all based on the premise that it would be the man going out to work who would have a wife at home to do all the other things. Mm-hmm. So maybe we just all need wives, you know? Yeah, to, we all need. To... Yeah, we all. I was thinking that you know, if we all had somebody to cook, clean, you know, take care of the household, the groceries, all the yeah. other stuff, then of course our stress would be. But we're trying to do it all and. And work, and it's so interesting. I've I've been tracking my periods forever, and uh, one thing that I've started to note is how my mood and my mm. energy levels fluctuate through yes. the month. And I can now predict when I'm in a creative zone and when I'm not going to be. Before yeah. I used to be like, oh, focus, I need to get this done, and now I'm like, this is a terrible time for me to do this. It's yeah. not going to work, That's and I'm just going to wait till a better time. Yeah, and I've been tracking this more since my second child, which is, again, I got my period back at maybe five months postpartum. So it's, it hasn't been that long, but I definitely noticed this pattern. And it's kind of, I do feel like it's this superpower because yes. now I can predict when my creative, you know, my energy, when I'm going to want to put myself out there and I can predict when I'm more, a little bit more intuitive and slow and sure. wanting to rest. And like, that was like this past week. And I, I kept thinking, why am I so tired? I'm like, oh yeah, well, Hang up. (laughs) This is why. Um, And having that biological explanation for it sometimes can be so... um, It's a revelation for many women, isn't it? You know, because we've been trained to accept the male way of doing things as the normal way of doing things. But of course, it's not for 51% of the world's population. You know, women are not small men. You know, that was it was a great book by Nika Goldberg about women's heart health that I read back in the 90s. And that was the premise for a long time in medical research that women were essentially the same as men. So we'll do all the testing on men because they don't have these pesky menstrual cycles that we need to factor in. And we'll just give women smaller doses of the same medications. But of course, we metabolize some medications completely differently or they don't work on us. And, you know, it's really to try and and keep shifting that narrative into, you know, women are not the same as men. 
structurally, hormonally, from a circadian rhythm point of view. But like, you know, how many women know that tracking their cycles is going to give them that insight? Um, there's a lovely book by Kate Northrup called Do Less. And she talks about that, the, the power of tracking your cycle, knowing when you're going to need to be quiet and go within and to have a little kind of, you know, fallow period. Mm-hmm. Um, or or say when you're ovulating, you want to be social, you're creative, you know, you're bursting. Oh, yeah. All of, my, all of my best reels on Instagram yeah. I'm, I'm filming that when I'm ovulating. I'm funny. I'm creative. I have all of the ideas. And now I'm just like, Ugh, I just need to make one real, but it's so yeah. hard. And it's I, I do think that it is our superpower. And do you recommend for moms or for people who have teenagers who are or preteens who are entering puberty, like what would be one thing you want them to know? Start tracking your cycle and, and listen, listen and obey, basically. Um, you are not broken. Periods are not supposed to be painful. Um, You know, don't go on the pill just because you're having painful periods. Find out why you're having painful periods. You know, because I think that's a big thing, particularly with endometriosis. You know, Mm -hmm. endo affects one in 10 women worldwide. But it takes women, I think, somewhere in the region of eight years to get an accurate diagnosis because we have we've really trained women to not listen to their bodies to try and just put a band-aid over problems um whether it's painful periods or painful sex or pain with anything um let's look at why we're having pain because pain is your your brain's way of trying to say excuse me hello there's there's an issue over here that needs attention um do i need to shout a little bit louder can you hear me now um and then what we do is we just put you know put our hand over that mouth and that but the problem hasn't gone away it's still there. So, you know, really it's to tr- to get women to trust their bodies, to listen to their bodies, to notice patterns and to, to seek help, to advocate for themselves if they're having difficulties, um, again, mentally or physically, because our hormones have huge effects on our mental health as well. So it's to really demand better, better care if we're struggling with anything. We're, you know, we're, we're gloriously designed creatures. We are not here to suffer or to struggle. Yes. Um, yes. And help is out there. Help is out there. Demand and that's, better. This, I'm, so, I'm so glad we're, we had you talking about this because I want women everywhere to know that if they're struggling, whether it's post-pregnancy, postpartum, any, any phase of your life is, yes, there is help out there. And no, you're not meant to struggle through that. Like, yeah. yes, there's certain parts of our life where you cannot control, but we're not meant to just like struggle mentally and physically for like 40 years. Like it doesn't make sense that we would be designed to do that. No. And I do think that a lot of – I remember a lot of my friends were put on the pill for painful periods, for acne, for things that are essentially – have nothing to do with the reason the pill was designed, yeah. which is for birth control. Sure. And it's – like, do we need to be medicating our, our – because, again, when you have – when you're on the pill, it's not a true period. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's a withdrawal so bleed, yeah. It's a withdrawal bleed. And so you're not really ovulating. No. And no. so does that impact progesterone then? Because you were mentioning that. Well, it impacts everything because what we're actually starting to see, and it's hard to believe that it has really taken until 2020, 2021 – what we're actually starting to see now is research looking at the effects of, say, oral contraceptives on athletic performance and and sporting issues and how that's going to be different. Because 
everything is going to be affected by this as well. But you know, why why is she having painful periods? Maybe that would be a more challenging, you know, but interesting and ultimately fruitful conversation to have. I want to be really careful about demonizing the pill because there's a lot of downsides to the pill. There's a lot of upsides too. Mm-hmm. Um, it has liberated, literally liberated millions of women um, mm-hmm. and given them back control over their fertility. And for that, I think we, we will all be grateful. But can we do better? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think we have to do better in terms of uh, of really helping women optimize their hormonal health um, and take charge of it. And and that's really where I think where we're going to start seeing the research slowly turning. Um, yeah. But there, there's some exciting stuff happening. It's, it's a great time to be working in women's health because there's more really exciting research coming out nearly every month, it feels like. And we're learning more about about hormone function, but also dysfunction, you know, when things what things should be happening. But also, you know, when they don't go exactly as they should be, what can we do to start helping women live well? And most of it, you know, I was just reading a paper this morning about endometriosis. Most of it comes down to lifestyle medicine. That's really it's getting those basics right. Eating well, sleeping well, moving well, managing your stress well. If you've got those four big rocks really, really optimized, then sometimes it just takes a little bit of tweaking, you know, further up the chain to to get everything back on board again. But if you're not dealing with those four and you're just medicating on top of that, you're really setting somebody up for a lifetime of of reproductive dysfunction, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's fertility or, you know, or a tricky menopause, you know, or, or a premature hysterectomy. So important. I think we we ignore the if when we ignore the foundation or the basics, mm-hmm. and we're looking for specialized, very you know complex right, ways to deal with it, yeah. and we're like, yeah, the shiny object, like, ooh, yeah. but there's this new thing I could try, or I That's could just true. try eating yeah. regular. Like it, it sounds so basic, but we know we know that that's what's. The, the stuff that matters the most, you know, getting back to our basics. Yeah. And I think about my baby. I'm like, what does he need right now? Eating, sleeping, pooping, snuggles, you know, yeah. milk, attention, like those basic things, you know, does he exactly. need to be running around for 14 hours a day? No. Like he, yeah. he runs around a little bit, then he sits. And yeah. how can we be more, how can we get back to ourselves, right? And what our bodies were designed to do, which is again, eat, sleep, poop, move, all the, all the basics. Um, just so bringing that Michelle- level of, of self-compassion, I think, back into mm-hmm. it as well. So knowledge, definitely, and educating ourselves, but also some self-compassion and the willingness to be kind to ourselves and, and not punish ourselves, um, you know, when things are not going as we would like, you know, whether that's hormonally or in any aspect of our or lives. life. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and like, I think there's so, this sometimes this attitude that like, oh, but if we, you know, if we hack everything so it's perfect, then my life should be easy and exhaustion free and perfect. Like sometimes life is just going to be hard. Like I was yeah. thinking about this with postpartum. Is sometimes it's just challenging. Like yes. I could eat well, I could try my best to sleep, but sometimes it's hard. And so knowing that, you know, having that compassion, treating ourselves like the human beings we are instead yes. of like robots. Um, I think is so important. And I think for me and for many of my clients who are now in that postpartum to perimenopause transition, yeah. it's going to be really important for ourselves to set ourselves up for a good menopause, like you said, is for sure. 
that's what determines, you know, what's going on before is what's going to determine our outcomes. But filling filling your own cup, you know, means that you have a little bit more resilience for when things are bumpy, you know, mm-hmm. because if you have, if you have um, an awoke, you know, kind of an awake connection and commitment to eating well and to sleeping well, it just means you have a little bit more gas in the tank for when you hit a rough patch, you know, and you're more likely to bounce rather than break. I love that. Mm. Yeah. What can we do to make, her, make ourselves more resilient? Yeah. And thank you so much, Michelle. You've shared so many amazing ideas and I, I've taken a bunch of notes and I think a lot of people who listen to this conversation will find it so, so helpful. I have some questions for you before we finish off and we'll you know, head into our final thoughts here. Uh-huh. Is Tell me something that you like to do for yourself every day for self-care. What so, are a couple things that you love to do? I love yoga. Yoga fills my cup because it just, I feel, I feel like it's kind of coming home to myself when I get back on the mat. It's, it is something that I can drop the ball with when I do get busy. And then, you know, you find your way back to the mat and it's like, on why did I ever stop doing this? You know, and for me, the, one of the most important parts of my yoga practice is, is doing a good Shavasana at the end, just lying down and just lying there. And the people in my life who know when I'm getting frazzled, um, you know, have been known to say, you know, maybe it's time that you go and shavas yourself. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a verb. It's a verb. (laughs) So just go lie down on a mat somewhere. Like my other passion is, you know, I'm I'm a book fiend as well. You know, bookshops are my happy place. They're my crack den, as my husband likes to say. What's so, your what's your favorite right now, or what are your couple favorites for your books? Well, um, you know, I really I'm super super nerdy, so you know, like women's health nonfiction is generally what I'm reading. But I will say I'm super excited that the uh, next installment of Diana Gabaldon's Outlander series has just been released. So Amazing. I am bribing myself with a, a trip to the bookshop uh, to get that maybe at the weekend. Nice. Mm. Um, do you listen to podcasts or are you more of a book love person? Podcasts, love, love podcasts. Love podcasts. It's the only way I can persuade myself to do laundry. Like I'll bribe myself with a good podcast. Amazing. So there's so many great podcasts out there now. You know, um, it's it's a really great way to expose yourself to different ways of thinking. And, you know, maybe things that you wouldn't. Because I think sometimes we can just kind of, you know, get used to living in our own little bubbles. And podcasts yeah. are, are a super way to connect with different thought leaders. Um Mine tend to be, again, you know, fairly women's health oriented as well. But, you know, I love Brene Brown has some great podcasts out there as well. Um, For women's health, I love the At Your Cervix podcast. uh, That's where I initially heard you and I love Ah, that as well. Thank you. Um, You know, so there's there's it feels like there's never enough time to listen to all the podcasts that are out there. But it's just it's bliss isn't it like if you can get into your car by yourself and put this on a is what I I struggle with now because I don't drive much like yeah. I you know I'm not in the car very much so when I am there I like listen to my jams and I'm like there you go you know blasting my music yeah. but I find yeah. podcasts to be helpful in the evenings when I I don't really want to watch tv or I don't yeah. want any more screens I can just listen and it almost feels like you're having a conversation with someone right. like they're in your in your ears it kind of feels more personal yeah I love it. um and I love that so thank you for sharing that and what's something that you've been passionate about recently 
Something that I have been passionate about recently is reclaiming my weekends. Because you will know this, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. Um, Mm -hmm. When you work for yourself and when you have an iPhone, you know, always within reach, you are on all day, every day. And the temptation, I'll just do one more check from my emails before I go to bed, just in case there's anything important. I mean, of course, there's not going to be anything that can't wait until the morning, (laughs) but you just have to check. Yeah. And so what I'm really, really trying to do is to take back my weekends and really create some sacred space um because we're empty nesters now our daughter is away at university so congratulations thank you we survived i Um, you've been through the other side yeah i've been to the other side of the mountain there there is hope you know get there um so you know we're, we're trying to just to do more things as as hopefully we get through this pandemic you know that we can uh remember that there's life outside of screens and just yeah. kind of reconnect to nature and to ourselves. And just, uh, you know, as Mary Oliver would say, we we just have this one wild and precious life. And we never know if the last two years have taught us anything is we never know what's coming around the corner. So really just to try and be present and mindful and enjoy each day. Love that. Love that. I, um, I set a boundary for myself this June. I was like, no more Saturday work. Like one Good. day, I'm going to take that day off. Good. Just one, because I knew I knew Sundays I have to prepare for the week, and my kids were still at home at home at that time. And I have found myself in the past two weeks going back to working on Saturdays, and now I'm like, you know what? Uh-oh. I need to keep. I need to go back to that boundary and just yes. hold firm, because it doesn't help. It always just makes you more anxious when you're working all the time. It makes you yeah. busier. It makes you. It doesn't. It doesn't get stuff done because we, as we know, there's never. Never ending list of things that need to get done. There's no end to the list. So thank you for reminding me. And as well as that, that if if you don't take that day off, you know, you start to get resentful. Yeah. And the whole point of having your own business and working for yourself is to create that, that lifestyle, you know, um, and it, you know, it can be a fast track towards burnout. So I'm going to be watching and seeing if there's any posting happening on Saturdays. I'll be keeping an eye on you now. And you think, hmm, is she behaving? It's like, Suravi, you need to uh, take the day off. Uh-huh. I know. I, I will be. And if okay. I if I do ever post on Saturdays, it's usually pre-done posts. Okay. Uh, mm. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and I have a couple other questions. How? Yeah. What's the best way for people to reach you? Um. I'm really enjoying Instagram. Uh, I think it's a, you know what, it's, for me, it just feels like a friendlier place than Twitter. Um, And I feel like, you know, I really like that whole form. There's some really great things happening in women's health on Instagram. So you can find me there, uh, Michelle Lyons underscore Muleyeberty. You can come hang out on my website. It's going to go for a facelift after the new year, but you can come find me at celebratemuleyeberty.com. There's some good resources there. Um, some links to podcasts uh, or my YouTube channel that's uh, starting to ramp back up a little bit again. So yeah, I'm out there. People can, you know, can check it and see what I'm doing on social. Um, And, you know, let's just keep the conversation going between us all because a rising tide lifts all the boats. I love that. And I I will share all the links that you shared as well in the show notes. So if you people to get in touch with you and you have a course as well that I'm in the process of taking. And can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, for for really most of the past decade, I was spending a lot of time in airports going around the world to teach. 
And over the past two years, I've been putting all my courses online. But I suppose reading my flagship course for, for women's health professionals is the Female Hormonal Health Masterclass. Because what I was finding is as, as a women's health physio, you know, we would talk about pelvic pain. We would talk about, you know, uh, pregnancy and postnatal. But we didn't really talk about the hormonal underpinnings of it all and what's driving all these changes. So I wanted to come up with a course that would have, you know, three separate modules, one for menstrual health, one for maternal health and one for menopausal health, because those are really the three big pivotal hormonal times in a woman's life. And to really look at what the research is, is saying and then to put it into concrete steps that we can use to help women live well, no matter what stage of life that they're at. So um, it's it's my passion project. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really, really geeky and nerdy about women's health. It's it's what I do for work. It's what I do for fun. It's what I talk about a lot of the time. Um you know, much to the, the delight, really, of my daughter. You know, I'm, I'm very prone to jumping into a conversation about constipation and bowel habits, <laughs> which is always a huge hit at the school gates. So, you know, but we really just need to normalize these conversations. You know, if we can talk about elbows and knees, we can talk about vaginas and breast health and what's happening, you know, in terms of pelvic organ prolapse and bladders and bowels, because they're they're just other body parts as well. Let's take away the the power of take shame. Take away the shame. Problem. Yeah, take yes. it, take that away. I was at a gym. I was at a gym that was run by men, like young, you know, bros, like twenty yeah. year olds. And um, I had gone in to introduce myself and said, "I would love to come speak to your female athletes about leaking, about um, getting back to exercise postpartum and all that stuff." And he was like, "Leaking? Like what? What is that?" He didn't know what leaking was, and I'm like, "You know, when you leak pee," and all of the male trainers came. Nobody had heard of this. And I said, it is very common for sure. Some of your athletes here are probably leaking and they're not telling you, or some people are avoiding coming to the gym because of leaks. And they were, they had no idea. And I'm like, and you could see it in their faces. They were just like, oh, and I'm like, you know, the privilege in not knowing, first of all, the privilege in not knowing. And let's destigmatize this. I'm like, hey, it's just like people getting knee pain when they jump. It's just another uh-huh. symptom that can be addressed through, yeah. you know, proper physiotherapy or even just strategies. So destigmatize that. I love that. And can you tell me one last question is what would you say is your ultimate mom strength? I would say my ultimate mom strength is really using my daughter as a guinea pig to um to educate and inform and hopefully empower younger women to understand how their body works to speak up when there's a problem uh advocate for themselves and demand better care if their needs are not being met um really just to tune into their to their own bodies and their own power as well and and not accept any nonsense I love that. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I think that's an incredible superpower and I, I aspire to that as well <laughs> within my own community and my own um, my own children. Look, you're, you're doing I mean, look at Look at all the great work you're doing, like spreading the word on, on social and with the podcast. And I think, you know, what you're doing is so necessary, taking this work online where it's accessible to everybody. Because much as we know the importance of going to see a good women's health physio um, in person, that would be the ideal. But I think just having these conversations and giving women tools to start helping themselves. So thank you for all you're doing to empower women. Well, thank you. Together we rise and we are doing exactly that as 
people all over the world connecting in this community to lift each other up. Um, To all of our listeners, if you found this episode helpful, please share this with someone in your life who is in any phase of menstruation, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopausal, or menopausal. I think this this conversation is important for every single person to listen to. Um, And please rate this, uh, leave a comment, leave a rating and a comment to this podcast and let us know what you thought of this episode. I will be sharing all of the links with you in the show notes. And thank you so much for being with us today, today, Michelle, and for sharing your time and your expertise with us. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.